the unsurpassed, penetrating, and perfect truth is seldom met with, even in a hundred thousand married culprits. Now we can see and hear it. We can remember and expect it. I might think the Buddha's truth, one with myself. Homage to the Buddha, homage to the Dharma, homage to the Sangha. explore today uh, cleansing of karma and it's going to include a lot of other things but uh, karma is basically action and the results are feelings at least most of the time um, and learning to let feelings pass through without identifying with them is a major spiritual accomplishment because <laughs> We think that the mind is in the body, but it's the other way around. The body is in the mind. And this mind uh, is experienced as, as consciousness. In Buddhism, there are eight levels of consciousness. There's the eye, ear, nose, uh, tongue, body, mind. Um, but then there are two levels above that. The last one is the alaya consciousness that was defined about 2,000 years ago by uh, the people in the Yogacara school of uh, Buddhism. And I don't, it's very difficult to explain what it is because it's not a thing. <laughs> it's, um, it's like living in this great ocean of Buddha mind. And the ocean is like the physical ocean on earth. It has all these underlying currents and um, undertoes and vast uh, spaces. And um, it's like uh, living in the midst of uh, what Master Mokagan named her temple the Great Ocean Temple, because this Great Ocean is uh, filled with basically with compassion and love and wisdom. It is a very positive place. <clears throat> but our karma, when it's based on actions that uh, come, out, come from ignorance, creates a lot of unhappy feelings. Um, I recently read a... Um, something that a young, uh, a young man had, was talking about feelings uh, when he was young and coming back to them 30 years later. <laughs> some, this is a quote, some things that drove me into emotional despair as a younger man have reappeared and are jerking me around emotionally as much as they did when I was young. What is particularly interesting is that even though I can filter these new-slash-old feelings through meditation, as well as experience and see them for what they are, I can't just wish them away. They have a tenacity which is startling. And that tenacity is this uh, alaya consciousness. And we, uh, we need to be able to take a look at that. And there was a, an article I recently read in Tricycle, magazine about how you um, cleanse the, the karma here. 
Um, and so much of it has to do with just being with those feelings <clears throat> and going deeply into meditation. Remember Master Hario was talking about visiting Reverend Alexander when he was quite ill before he went to the nursing home. And he walked in and he realized that he had to drop everything that was in his mind and just be still in meditation. Just really focus on that stillness. For me, when I focus on that stillness, well, even other times, but especially when I focus on that stillness, I can hear what we call, what I call the sound of silence. And by focusing that, I know that's kind of like, that's the door to the unknown. The first talk I ever hear, heard River Master Jiu give was, <clears throat> she gave the example uh, of a man who was the commandant of a German uh, camp during World War II, and his job was to mete out punishment for people who had been convicted of espionage. And he had two doors behind his desk. They were both painted black. And he said, this one over here is the firing squad. And I can't tell you what this one is, but you get your choice. And that choice is a very significant choice in our spiritual life. Because it, behind that door was a car with its engine running, waiting to take anybody who had the courage <coughs> across the Swiss border. And we're born into this world as a human being, which is the most, uh, the best place to train. Although you experience suffering, you also have this choice to choose something about it, to do something different. You don't, you're not bound by, karma isn't by uh, an action that you're compelled to take. You have a choice all the time. And choosing to go through the door of the unknown is choosing to, to let go of these old habits. And Sometimes those habits are felt as physical pain. I've had a, it's kind of embarrassing to talk about this, but um, I had a pain in my rear end for, uh, it would come and go for a number of months. And I finally realized that the past life was from somebody who died of an enema of mercury and the pain was so great that he couldn't handle it all and just tried to repress it at the time of his death. Um, and so it's come up because it needs to be felt. And that's how karma gets cleansed, is just having things pass through us. We don't have to fix them, we don't have to make them any better. Um, but when we get upset about something, or when we're greedy or angry or fearful, if we can just sit with that, go into that silence and let that pain pass through. And sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's mental, um, and what we have to realize is that we have that choice to be still. We do not have to react simply because the reaction arises. We can just let that go. We don't have to repress it. We don't have to get rid of it. Uh, it's just like um, it's being said here. Is what is particularly interesting is that even though I can filter these new old feelings through meditation as well as experience and see them for what they are. 
I can't just wish them away. They have a tenacity that is startling. And that tenacity is the alaya vishna. It's a, it's a consciousness um, that cover, colors everything that we do. Again, because most of us think of it in terms of filtering this through the self, we don't see that there's a choice to see it in a different way. We can just see it in not ours, but just emotions, just feelings, just ideas, opinions, likes and dislikes. All of that stuff is self. And the reason why, one of the reasons why self is considered empty is because it's always changing. <clears throat> we have that choice to go forward. We don't have to go back to old habits and patterns of thinking and ways of, of living and doing things. We can confront uh, that ignorance when it arises and see it just for what it is, just ignorance. And it does not have to, to drive our, our actions. One of the stories that has helped me most in training is <clears throat> the story of Yakusan, who's one of our um, <clears throat> ancestors. He was a disciple of Sekito, and Sekito was a fine monk. <clears throat> he wrote uh, the Sandokai. But Yakusan was feeling, <clears throat> after many years of training, he was feeling fundamentally inadequate because he didn't, he hadn't gotten enlightened and he was getting very frustrated. He felt he needed something more than what he had. And Sakyatya finally said, well, why don't you go over and talk to Yaka, to Basso? And so Yakasan went and talked to him and told him that, yeah, he'd been studying everything he could for in Buddhism, every every Buddhist book available in Chinese at that time. Um, been sitting for 20 years, been serving Sakito. Um, he still wasn't getting enlightened. And I'm sure Maso had a little grin on his face when he says this, but he, he said, well, sometimes I raise the eyebrows and blink the eyes of old Shakyamuni, and sometimes I don't. Sometimes it's good to do, and sometimes it's not. So what do you think? Well, the penny dropped for Yakusan, and he realized that he was filtering everything he was doing through this concept of inadequacy. He wanted to get this thing called enlightenment, and he wasn't getting it. And he thought he had something other than he need, than he had. And the training isn't so much getting something as letting go of something more like getting rid of something. You're letting go of this illusion of a self. You're letting go of old habits and patterns. You're letting go of all the things that didn't work. <laughs> but whatever brings us to training is this subtle um, perception of wanting to, to change or do something or... Um, that there's something more. And that something more is that letting go. Letting go of the self, letting go of the, our likes and dislikes, 
letting go of viewing the world through that idea of a self. As Basso was saying, you can see things differently. Uh, Master G used to talk about the kaleidoscopic mind. I sent my little nieces a couple of kaleidoscopes lately because it's a really wonderful teaching about you just make a subtle little shift and everything changes. <laughs> it's the same little pieces of glass or plastic or whatever's inside there, but it makes a whole different picture. And by changing our perception, by looking through the eyes of the Buddha, we see things differently. Looking through the mind of uh, this Buddhist consciousness, this alaya teaching, it's a way of transforming our passions. We all take the bodhisattva vows, or however innumerable beings may be, I vow to save them all. However inexhaustible the passions may be, I vow to transform them all. However limitless the Dharma may be, I vow to comprehend it completely. However infinite the Buddha's truth is, I vow to realize it. And this transforming of the passions, transforming our ignorance, our greeds, angers, fears, likes, dislikes, um, we're looking through though that filter all the time of self. And so we see things slightly skewed um, because of that. And what we need to do is let go of seeing things that way <laughs> and realize that when I'm about to get angry with somebody or um, I don't know what to do or I'm afraid or fearful, I can look at that situation through a different filter. And changing that different filter is a very subtle little shift in perception. Um, it's kind of like when you're looking for something and you don't, don't know where it is, or whatever, and all of a sudden you see it, and it's been there all the time, and you just missed it. <laughs> you looked in that same place half a dozen times. And um, it's that ability to, to see things slightly differently. And... This has a, a very powerful, Alaya Vishnana is a very powerful um, force. Because it's a force of all of our past actions, not just in this life, but from previous lives as well. And it's really difficult to, to get beyond those habits unless you're willing to change how it is you see things. And one of the reasons we meditate is to, you know, we're coming back to neutral. <laughs> We've been in reverse most of our lives, and now we want to go forward, but you got to stop at neutral. <laughs> and this is, this is really helpful, because um, when you stop at neutral, those things can pass through us and we're not identifying with them. These are just thoughts. These are just feelings. These are just opinions. Look at all the kind of judgments that we make on a daily basis about stuff. That's just opinions. And if we look at that same person that we're judging in a different way, they become Buddhas. Of course, some Buddhas are showing us what not to do, <laughs> as well as the ones who are showing us what to do. But we have to perceive 
their Buddha nature rather than judging and kind of pushing them away. And not just people, but situations and um, dealing with people. In our culture, people are even afraid of, of talking about death. They don't want to do their wills or make their last wishes what are known and stuff because it's they have to confront the reality of suffering. And frequently we want to just put that off <laughs> later on when I need that. <laughs> well, half the time people die without having taken care of that because they didn't want to deal with it. And even talking about death with people uh, is an uncomfortable subject. And we have to realize that we can let go of those uncomfortable things by seeing them as a way of exploring our ignorance. Because we have to be aware of what we don't know. (laughs) And that's no easy thing to do. Um, But it's by sitting still we can open our heart to that ignorance. We can open our heart to this Ilaya consciousness, which has this immense value that it is a way of thinking and doing that is is different than our habits. It's a way of of, uh, letting go of this um, idea of self and other. And the Shoshogi Yogan says, uh, within these precepts dwell the Buddhas, Enfolding all things within their unparalleled wisdom, there's no subject or object for any who dwell herein. All things, earth, trees, wooden posts, bricks and stones, become Buddhas once this refuge is taken. From these precepts come forth such a wind and fire that all are driven into enlightenment when the flames are fanned by the Buddha's influence. And... That concept that no subject and no object means that everything you see is actually a manifestation of the Buddha mind. And you've got to be able to see that in order to find it within yourself. You also have to see that in the external situation. That's why we were taking the precepts because they're showing us how to act like a Buddha. And when we start acting like a Buddha, then we start seeing like a Buddha. And when we're keeping the precepts rather than indulging in old habits is when we start to make that shift in comprehension. And um, so it's really important that we, we look at, for example, when we're meditating, looking at all the places where we're not meditating. Because that allows us then to wake up and start meditating. That is the meditation is to see where I'm not meditating. And the same with seeing how we see, perceive things. When you see that you're perceiving through a window of, of judgments or fear or anger or frustration, that's a clue. <laughs> and we have ability then to, to change how we look at things. And that change comes about by doing a meditation. We just come back to that still place explore that ignorance, be able to be there with that not knowing. 
looking at things in a different way. Maybe you're going to find something you've been missing for ages. <laughs> and it's, it's just a question of understanding that karma is, is a very complicated um, law. Or I was read, read another book recently about a very good book on karma, what it is, what it isn't, and what's, what's important. And... Um, he, he doesn't want to use the word a law because you you think of law and then consequences like how many Reverend Master used to ask me well how many years is he going to get from that when she's watching the news <laughs> of course it was a time when there was a, in <coughs> the, the sentencing was was very subjective and so there was no way you could say that killing somebody is going to be 25 years in prison it's um, much more subtle than that. And the same with karma is that if you give something away uh, as an act of generosity, um, that creates good karma. But if you give something away, then you think, oh, I shouldn't have done that. (laughs) There's not quite as much good karma involved. (laughs) Because it's not really a gift. You haven't let go of it. (laughs) And that ultimate gift is what Reverend Master Ji said was giving up something you never wanted anyway, which is your own suffering. <laughs> and our willingness to let go of that means we have to recognize when we're acting out of that greed and fear and anger. But you have to look at yourself through the eyes of compassion. If you look at yourself through, oh, I'm angry again, I'm a bad person. If you're looking through uh, at your actions and your habits through that filter of self, you don't get it. (laughs) You've got to be able to see it through compassion and wisdom and love. And being able to love ourselves is this training, is to to confront that ignorance and see that I don't have to create suffering. (laughs) The external events I try to sit, think of them as not being the source of the suffering, but I just read that book by Ellie Weissel about, called Night, and it was about his year in um, Auschwitz and during the last year of the war and going through just incredible suffering right? and seeing people suffer and seeing people causing the suffering. Um, and one at one point there were these three men that were going to be hanged, and they all, one of them was a 13-year-old who was, of course, extremely uh, thin from the food or lack of it. And when the, when the concentration camp uh, soldiers pulled the chairs out from under them, the 13-year-old wasn't heavy enough to actually just break his neck and die instantly. And somebody, one of the prisoners who were required to witness this, said, said well, where, where is God here? You know, he was expecting God to have to, to, to save us from this horrible situation. And somebody else pointed to the 13-year-old and said, God's right there. Those beings, everybody in that camp, 
was a manifestation of the unknown. And that suffering was happening to the, un, the unborn, the unknown, was happening to whatever you want to call that. I was at an interfaith retreat with the Dalai Lama, and he was trying to find common ground with the God-based religions, and they kept coming to the fact, back to the fact that says it's not a being, it's not a, it's not a thing that you can separate off from other things. It's this universal mind that flows through everything. And the basis of that mind is this compassion and love and wisdom. Um, but we do get the consequences of our actions. And so um, we had a friend who was dying recently and he had undertaken a, a series of radiation treatments and all the people were telling him this is going to be really painful. And he was willing to do it. He wasn't afraid of the pain. But he wasn't afterwards, he wasn't getting any better and the pain wasn't getting any better. And I tr he was trying to figure out what he had done that would have caused this pain. And I tried to explain to him that it's not personal. That karma is... Um, opportunistic. Uh, there's no self involved. So if there's just somebody who's willing to go through that pain, then he, the Eternal will let that person be the vehicle through which that pain passes. And some, whoever created that uh, pain through acting out of ignorance, um, that pain gets gets cleansed as a result of someone willing to experience it. And these are very difficult and subtle things that we're talking about here. Um, for example, it, it isn't um, reincarnation, it's rebirth. And when somebody dies, the 80-year-old person, and gets reborn, they're a different person from that being that got reborn, but that being will have the karma of previous beings. And in the example that I recently gave there, it may not be anything to do with one's even personal past life, <laughs> because that idea of itself is so fluid. It's one of the reasons we're seeing self as, uh, as empty is the fact that everything in the universe is changing. And the old person who died and the new person who reborn, they're different people. There's no self that goes from life to life. But there's a connection. And just as we are connected to everything in the universe, when we realize that the mind is not mine, <laughs> but this Buddha mind pervades everything, and we are able to see the Buddha in the rocks and the stones and even the people whose opinions we don't agree with and the, the difficulty by the weather or the, the fires in the summer now because of global warming. And, um, there's all sorts of difficulties that we're facing, but we, we have to take this on faith. Somebody was using the example of that um, 
scientists believe that these little infinitesimally small objects in the atoms actually exist, but nobody's actually seen them. <laughs> they, they explode the, the atom and it shoots off little things and they tell that they were there because of the path that they left. But nobody's actually seen these things. They're so small. Um, and so we, we take some, have to take some of these things on faith. When we don't understand something, well, just be there with that. Bring your meditation to that situation and see if you can explore that ignorance and look with compassion, look with, with um, the eyes of the Buddha, look with the eyes of a young child seeing something for the first time. There's a certain awe there. There's a certain wonder, what is that? And um, when we're confronted with ignorance, when we're confronted by a situation where we don't know what to do, um, explore it. Take it as, take it as an adventure. And that's what this life is about. <laughs> we're here to learn something. And the more we're willing to, to learn and to change our old habits, to change the way we look at things, uh, to change with old age, with illness, with confronting with death. And uh, these things are, are not there to punish. Karma isn't a, a law that requires somebody to be punished for their actions. Somebody can do something really, really awful and be like in the, in the beyond the pale of vengeance where this man commits a, a, a murder, and this is in Japan. He, he killed um, his his lord because they both wanted the same woman, and and the vassal was um, trying to protect himself and accidentally killed the master, and so he was out of a job, and so he ran off with a woman and started being um, a highway robber since there. There weren't a lot of opportunities, <laughs> employment opportunities, <laughs> for somebody in his position. And um, but he, one night, just totally fed up with himself because he had just killed a young couple, and uh, his his partner was angry at him because he didn't take her her hair clips, which were made of of shell. And he just got so fed up with himself, thinking what he had just done, that he just took off running. And he ran all night long, and ran all morning long, and in the middle of the day, he ran out of energy to run, and, and sat down, and he was sitting in front of his temple. <laughs> and after he recovered from his running, he went into the temple to, to confess to the, uh, the priest what he had done. And the priest was the first person to show him compassion and said, well, if you turn yourself in, they'll just kill you. Why don't you think of doing something good for others? And so he asked to be ordained. He wanted to become a monk and help other people. And he studied with his teacher for a number of years. And finally, he went out to see if he could work uh, to help people who were traveling. Um, and so he built uh, bridges, he built, uh, filled in 
holes in the road. He um, carried young children and he helped carry people's burdens, their physical possessions. And one day he was in, on one of the uh, islands below the main island and they wanted, somebody wanted him to, to do um, a funeral for this man who was on a suspension bridge going over this, around this cliff. And the horse uh, fell and they were both um, thrown into the river many hundreds of feet down. And so he recognized that this was a, uh, an area that he might be of use after he did the funeral. He saw that this, you could, you could just dig a hole through this cliff there. <laughs> but it was, uh, it was quite a bit of a challenge. <laughs> and everybody thought he was, he was crazy, but he decided he was going to do it. And so he just worked on it, and sometimes he got help and sometimes he didn't. Um, and towards the, the end of this project, um, the son of the samurai that he had killed was, had been looking all over Japan for, for this man because he had to um, seek vengeance because the, the Lord had lost face by having a servant kill him. And so the son of the Lord had to avenge the murder or the family would not be able to be officially citizens of Japan. They were written off the rolls until that got fixed. And he, uh, so this, the monk was, was digging away at this tunnel, tunnel and the, um, the son of the samurai came up and he was, the monk had no, well, it's actually really like this person. <laughs> him as a child, um, and he said, "Please, you know, uh, you can kill me, and that will help the family." And but there were other people working with him on the tunnel at the time, and they they convinced the samurai to let him just finish this temple. He's just about through here, <laughs> and he's not going anywhere. He'll <laughs> he'll be glad to let you kill him. Um, so he went back to doing this, and the son of the samurai got impatient, and so he was—he thought, well, maybe if he helped um, <laughs> construct this this tunnel, it'll get it over with faster. So there, one night they are working there um, away, and we were going clunk, 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 and all of a sudden, clunk, something happened. They went through the other side of this tunnel, and. Uh, at this point, the monk turns to him and said, you better kill me now because the others will pe keep you <laughs> from doing it. So, and, uh, but the son of the samurai at that point was in tears because this man had become his teacher at that point and he couldn't kill his teacher. And that's how karma works. Is that if you do something, if you make a positive change, the, the uh, immensity of that karma has been wiped out because you've done something to, 
to help that situation. So those difficult things that you're facing sometimes are very often the things that you need to in order to really help your training. So if you confront those difficult things and see them for what they are and make the effort to not do the habit pattern, to make a change instead of acting out of greed or fear, um, a desire, if you change that, if you see, well, maybe this isn't worth it. <laughs> um, it it's again it's like that kaleidoscope. The picture changes, and you see things differently. And that's that's our challenge in life. Make a little change in perception. <laughs> <laughs>